0: Hello and welcome to this week's Shadow Talk. I'm your host, Rafael Amado. As the deadline for merchants accepting online card payments disabled TLS 1.0 has now passed, we take the chance to discuss internet protocol security more broadly. Today, we drill into the risk of SSL inspection and interception, a process many organizations will consider carrying out now and in the future. We'll look into how SSL inspection is done, the different reasons for deploying it, and the overall trade-offs for organizations looking to implement these methods. All this on this week's Shadow Talk. And I'm joined today once again by Dr. Richard Gold. Hi, Richard, how are things? Very well, thank you. Great, and Simon Hall again. Great to have you back, Simon. Thanks for having me. Okay, let's kick off. So last weekend on the 30th of June, an important payment card industry deadline passed that requires all websites that accept payment cards so credit cards, debit cards, to stop supporting TLS 1.0. Now, this prompted some wider discussion here about issues relating to internet protocol security. In the case of TLS 1.0 and older protocols such as SSL, one of the big risks is that these are susceptible to vulnerabilities that allow for man-in-the-middle attacks, where attackers can intercept and tamper with data being sent across these channels, such as payment card and credit card data. Now, this leads us nicely into the topic of today's podcast, which is SSL interception. But before we tackle this beast, let's begin with some definitions. Firstly, what are SSL and TLS, and are they actually the same thing? You can help me out here.
1: Hi, Raf. Well, I can get things rolling. Um, basically, we should start with what HTTPS is. HTTPS is a browser convention. So when you're using a browser, you'll, you want to access an encrypted site to make sure that the communication between you and the site are encrypted, more specifically. Then you use HTTPS. Now HTTPS is not actually a separate protocol to HTTP. It is using the protocols you mentioned, TLS typically or SSL, to perform the encryption between you and the site that you're trying to access. So HTTPS is just HTTP over TLS or SSL. Now one, security for online transactions became a big deal back in the nineties, SSL was born secure sockets layer. And when the IETF took over, they renamed it from SSL, which was associated with Netscape back then who originally came up with the standard and called it TLS transport layer security. And unfortunately, even though it's been 20 years or so, we're still stuck with this legacy term SSL that we simply can't get rid of. So, And it becomes unwieldy to say SSL stroke TLS and so on. But TLS is the term we should really be using.
0: Thanks, Richard. Obviously, yeah, the two terms are often confused and I think it's nice for people to have a nice definition of it. So just to be clear, in terms of the way they're primarily used, can we say that firstly, it's for authenticating The server that a client is communicating with and the second main use is to encrypt data sent between the client and the server that'd be right
2: i can take that raf Um, so yeah so ssl or tls um so i think even myself i i kind of use them interchangeably um is basically to provide a level of data encryption and authentication the main principles for tls for encrypting traffic confidentiality Um, So you can be assured that no one is able to read the data uh, while it's in transit. Integrity. um, So the data can't be tampered with between the end user and the server and authenticity. um, So the trust between the client and the server, which I think is the the main element
1: here. I think it's a very good point there that Simon raises that is often overlooked. And that's the integrity aspect. So by using encrypted communications, you can also guarantee integrity to prevent tampering with the data in transit, which is uh, a big plus. Definitely.
2: I mean, when we, we look back, I mean, just four years ago, uh, I think when we, we look at the main services like uh, Facebook and Gmail, by default, they were starting to adopt cr- encryption for their services. But say as little as four years ago, these services were still accessible in clear text. So you had uh, tools like Firesheep, I don't know if anyone remembers that, which was a, a great little man-in-the-middle tool which you could sit on a, a wireless access point, for instance, and you were able to hijack sessions for, for various services. And that's because the, the session cookies for some of these services were being transmitted in the clear. And this was even the case with Gmail as well. And so they only went to default full encryption for, for their services in um,
1: 2014. I think one of the important things to keep in mind when we're talking about these these protocols is that they operate end-to-end. That is, you have your your client, which is a web browser, and a server, which is the website that you're trying to access, and TLS provides end-to-end encryption between those two endpoints. So nothing which is on the path can peer into those communications. So your guarantees of confidentiality, integrity, and so on are applied end-to-end. Now, that, of course, comes into direct conflict with the way that many networks are architected, that we have web proxies to do traffic inspection, to to apply policy, to look up blacklists, to check for malware. But if the communications are encrypted, this is no longer possible. This paved the way for SSL inspection, or also called HTTPS interception, as a feature that vendors are supplying. Now, that can be part of a web proxy or a standalone device, but that is a middle box which sits on the path between the client and the server, and that decrypts, inspects, and then recrypts the traffic. It's able to do this because the root CA certificate generated by the appliance or by the service is installed on the endpoint, the client endpoint, which allows the traffic to be decrypted then by the appliance. So that's the the general model for SSL inspection is, and that's the use case is really to try and deal with the lack of visibility that's caused by end-to-end encrypted protocols.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, I think with the, the lack of SSL interception or HTTPS inspection. Um, There are still things that uh, files and proxies can inspect, so destination, domains, IP address, and so forth, um, are inspectable still. Um, But when you want to do deeper packet inspection and you want to look at the data that's actually being transmitted here, so um, it's quite often used, uh, the interceptions used a lot for uh, DLP, for instance. So uh, for data leakage, Prevention and this will inspect the the traffic looking for things like credit card information or confidentiality markings for your organization without having this ability to intercept that traffic You would just be able to inspect based on source and destination and a few other metadata elements really um, So you, you really need for an organization these days that that deeper level of inspection
1: It's worth bearing in mind as well that we do see malware being delivered over HTTPS. So, malware authors are taking advantage of these security technologies to get their malware onto the endpoints. And I've worked personally on systems which have been which built to perform SSL inspection. And I've seen in the wild malware being blocked this way. So, it isn't just hype, there really are threats which are being blocked by this method of inspection. The counter argument to that is that well we have host A V, we have EDR solutions. So even if the malware is delivered to the endpoint, there are other mitigations, other controls which are in place to, to deal with that. So this is the kind of we're now getting to the the core of the issue, which is there are use cases for SSL inspection, as we've just mentioned. But however, as an approach, it's also quite problematic. And I th- just want to make it very clear, we're not going to be prescriptive here in this podcast. Each organization will have a different assessment of the risks, the benefits, the trade-offs of using SSL inspection. We're interested in discussing what those trade-offs are, how they can be evaluated. But it is a complex topic.
0: I'm glad you say that, Richard. Now, firstly, I'm very excited to have both of you speaking on this topic, because as you alluded to, both of you have worked directly either building or deploying these type of systems and techniques. Now, you've made a good case for why an organization would want to perform it in certain situations. Uh, As you alluded to as well, there are some disadvantages to this type of work. So let's hone in on these a bit more. I know performance impact is one of the most notable drawbacks to this type of activity. Can you A, tell me more about that, but also broaden it out, what are the other risks and disadvantages of performing SSL interception?
1: So when it comes to performance, it's not for free. So the act of decrypting, inspecting and recrypting the traffic does consume a lot of resources in terms of CPU power in terms of processing power. So if you have an appliance which you've deployed, which you, for example, have not thought about using for HTTPS inspection, then if you decide then you want to change and you want to enable this to get uh, take advantage of the, the features that we've mentioned, then you're most likely going to see a performance impact. Now, of course, if you're planning to do SSL inspection from the get-go, you can provision accordingly, but of course that will come with more expense because you will need beefier hardware, because as I mentioned, it's not for free. It does consume a lot of resources. In terms of security, which I think is one of the main issues that many people have with SSL inspection, along with alongside privacy, which we'll also get into. But in terms of security, US CERT put out a bit of guidance on security risks with it. And there are risks that the SSL inspection appliances often lag behind the browsers in terms of security. Now, you may be using the latest version of Chrome or something like this, you may be using TLS version 1.3 or you know, the latest and greatest crypto in terms of how well your traffic is protected, but the appliance that you're using will. When it's talking to the server itself, it may not necessarily be using the same parameters that you are using from your browser. So it may be using a different version or an older version of TLS or SSL. And other issues such as revocation checking. Browsers have their own way of doing it, whether they're using certificate revocation lists, whether they're using um, OCSP with or without stapling. Chrome has the CRL sets. So there's different ways of doing it. And again, you may be expecting one way of doing things, but the appliance may be doing something else entirely. And unfortunately we've seen so far that often appliances have a lower level of security assurance when it comes to the security of, of TLS upstream from the appliance to the site. And that is obviously a concern.
2: That's a really interesting aspect. Um, I think the other thing to take into consideration is network devices in general. Um, so, these days with phishing attacks and the endpoint attacks, you know, running Mimikatz or Responder, or whatever else, targeting endpoints, there's a lot of focus on security on the endpoint devices, but network devices can often become overlooked. You only have to look at various services for identifying open ports out on the internet. And you're able to see the uh, great deal of exposure for a lot of these types of devices, like the management interfaces for F5 devices, for Bluecoat devices, for Checkpoint devices, are quite commonly exposed online. So, with this, I mean, if you look at credential harvesting as an attack method that we've talked about previously, um, or just credential reuse, if these, if this information is gathered, and these devices are accessible, then you potentially have access to a HTTPS. Inspection device where you may be able to then sit and harvest this information rather than attacking the endpoints themselves
1: Yeah, that's a really good point Now attackers can go to where the data is and the data is in one place rather than being in multiple scattered over multiple endpoints and I think that again raises the risk How well is that device protected? How well is that device monitored and as Simon correctly mentioned often these appliances don't have the same level of security uh, in terms of protective monitoring, in terms of hardening, that uh, even a regular endpoint does. I'm not going to lie, the network devices are always my favorite to poke
2: around on an infrastructure assessment.
1: They are a really sweet attack point. And we've seen that with the more kind of interesting threat groups going after the, the routers. We've seen The NSA, obviously, from the Shadow Brokers leaks, we've seen other attacks against routers such as Simple Knock. This is a great place to be. It's an amazing network position. You can redirect traffic, you can inspect traffic. These things are really powerful in terms of what they can do.
2: Why not compromise a network device and let all the data come to you um, instead of actually having to go to the endpoints? Um, so i mean there is a lot more information to be gathered from this and i mean there's a lot of there are a lot of negatives i guess to to this type of device network devices in general um, for security perspective but if done correctly uh, they can enhance your security as well
1: yeah and i think that that was one of the interesting things i took away from the f5 response to the us cert advisory the first sentence states that if configured correctly, everything is fine. Now, you know, that goes back to that great quote from the guy from Attack IQ who was saying, all organizations, almost all organizations, already have the necessary security controls in place. They're just misconfigured. So you really see from those two statements how, yes, in one sense, you have to take that responsibility for correctly configuring things. However, correctly configuring things is very, very difficult. And we shouldn't underestimate how tricky it is to get that kind of configuration for a network security appliances right. And therefore, do we want to take those risks that we put all of this data in one place, the appliance maybe does not have the same security assurances as the browsers do, for example, so do we want to take that risk for the benefits of malware blocking, policy application, DLP, even forensics if you want to go back during an incident response uh, case and see what what happened and see what, what encrypted traffic had been passed and what its contents were. And I think the other thing to keep in mind is there's also privacy concerns with these technologies. Now, SSL inspection isn't permissible in all jurisdictions. So if deploying it, you have to know if it's permissible in the jurisdiction that you're operating in. You have to notify employees through the employee handbook that you're going to be doing this kind of monitoring. And there's also then a sort of more general point about what's a reasonable expectation of privacy for someone who's using a corporate asset. Is is it okay for an employee to use a corporate asset occasionally for personal use, for checking Facebook, for checking their online banking? So I think these trade-offs are also quite tricky to manage and it really depends on what kind of an organization you're operating. Some organizations will be very very strict about employee personal usage on their corporate devices. Other companies may have absolutely no problem with that whatsoever. So it's it's an interesting conundrum really and one approach which I'm personally a bit of a fan of, is to make sure that employees have ways to check their personal sites, do their online banking, all that kind of stuff in a way that doesn't use the corporate network. So to really separate personal usage from the corporate work, but that the company can provide something for employees to do that, whether it's a guest Wi-Fi network or something similar. I think this is one way to try and balance those conflicting concerns
0: all right so we're coming towards the end of today's show so to conclude what are the overall trade-offs and the main points you want listeners considering ssl interception to take away from this discussion simon do you want to go first uh, sure, yeah. For me,
2: I think it's just if the decision is made to to go for this approach, just to ensure that the actual devices for this are skewered correctly. Um, and, you know, the interfaces are put in dedicated management lands, so they're not accessible for by internal staff members that are not authorised and certainly not available on the internet.
0: And Richard, from you?
1: Yeah, for my side, I think the most important thing to keep in mind is what security guarantees do you want from your SSL inspection appliance? As in, what's your use case? What are you trying to protect against? And what can you do to mitigate the security and also privacy issues that come with having an SSL inspection appliance? So from the protocol side of things, making sure that the appliance is talking upstream the right crypto parameters it's using the right protocol versions it's using the right cipher suites it's doing revocation checking in a way that you expect it to do checking certificate expiration in the way that you expect it to do i think these are the the main concerns for me
0: lovely and that's about it for today richard and simon thank you very much for joining me always a pleasure thank you so much thank you And thank you for listening. Join us again next week for another edition of Shadow Talk. Have a good week. For more analysis, insight, and content from the Digital Shadows intelligence and security engineering teams, visit resources.digitalshadows.com.